the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now, it's the Rob Black Podcast. You can hear Rob live every weekday morning from 10 to noon on 910 AM and Talk910.com. Here's Rob Black on 910 AM. More stimulating talk. Welcome in to Rob Black and Your Money. Today is June 17th, Thursday. Mostly through the week. Feels kind of good. Big basketball game tonight. East Coast, West Coast showdown. So we got some things to look forward to. Tomorrow you get the United States playing soccer again in the World Cup. Just saw today that someone in South Africa was shot dead for changing the channel during a World Cup game. People take their soccer very, very, very seriously around the world. Ratings have been great for ESPN. And I tell you that in large part because that means things are good for ABC, which owns ESPN, which means things are very, very good for Disney, which owns ABC. So it's good. We got some good signs out there. And to be honest with you, I've been reviewing a lot of economic data recently, and I feel good about the United States right now. Don't feel crazy hot in love. It's not a lust relationship that I have with the United States right now. It's, it's, I feel good about it. I feel good about it. So let's start and take a look at what's happening in the world of markets. First and foremost, right out of the gate. Today, another day, another dollar. Today, the big number of new unemployment claims last week uh, climbed by about 12,000 claims dropped for three consecutive weeks. So unemployment, big in Wall Street right now. Every Thursday, we get those unemployment claims. And we, we once a month, we get new employment numbers or unemployment numbers. But the un- unemployed, we're watching because until that slows down, we don't really create jobs. Any number over 400,000 is, is very, 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 very problematic. Uh, so BP in the news today, BP is on, on, on Capitol Hill and getting grilled by a congressman, as you would well imagine. Keep in mind that BP stock's right around $31. And I'm considering the stock to be a prize fighter at this point in time, a boxer, so to speak. Um, what do I mean by that? Well, a couple nights ago, President Barack Obama basically thrashed British Petroleum in a speech to the nation coming from the Oval Office. It's kind of odd. I'm an East Coaster. Born and raised, so to speak, and I've only been out on the West Coast eight, nine years now. Uh, back on the East Coast, when the president speaks, he does it during prime time. He does it during television shows like Friends, and it pisses people off, but it also carries a lot more weight. So a couple nights ago, he basically slammed BP. Stock's still standing. Today, congressmen are, are slamming BP. About as much of the bad news, about as much of the center of the storm is happening right now. I'm not telling you to buy the stock. I'm not. I don't own the stock. I'm looking at the stock with with what I would refer to as hella intrigue. Um, problem is, it's tough to quantify their damages. And I'll tell you a little later in the show, one analyst has their damages at $69 billion. Keep in mind, they just set aside $20 billion. So one analyst has it at you know, considerably higher, considerably higher than what anyone else has it at. So it's tough to quantify. It's incredibly tough to quantify and say this is uh, where we feel very good for it and or not. So anyway, BP's still standing there. Stock's standing at 31. It's taking a beating, and it's in the center of the storm right now. Now, 
it could get worse. Like, let's say the, the drill, the oil well breaks open and gushes and 10 trillion gallons of oil come out. It could get worse. But I would say probably not going to get worse. Probably in the eye of the storm at this point in time. So the Dow's down 55 today. NASDAQ's down 9. S&P 500's down 5. So far, the month of June's been an up month. May, not so good. April, good. March, good. February, good. January, good. So we have one bad month, and right now, I guess we're feeling a little, like, uh, a little weary. We're, we're looking at Wall Street as a little weary in the short term. But in the long term, I like what I'm seeing. Elsewhere today, Fox News Radio's Chris Barnes in Washington's talking about no signs of inflation. The government's best gauge of inflation at the consumer level still pointing to the absence of it as the consumer price index fell for the second straight month. The main factor in the two-tenths of one percent decline was less expensive energy, while so-called core prices, which don't include food and energy, edged up just slightly. Again, inflation is important in large part. It's one of those numbers that we look at and you go, not sexy, Rob. It's not like Kobe Bryant. I'd rather talk Kobe Bryant right now. You go, inflation's not sexy. Inflation is sexy. What we're paying for things uh, changes our quality of life. And the more we pay in the future, well, we better get raises. So wage inflation, good, right? Consumer price inflation, bad. Now, again, I don't put a lot of reading into any one piece of data. It's to me all about trends, but there's no inflation. And what, what that means for me and you, Fed's not going to raise interest rates anytime soon. When the economy gets hot, we tend to inflate prices of goods. We get scarce on our commodities because we're consuming and making things so fast. So there's inflation, but right now, no inflation. Fed's going to keep interest rates low, and that's good for our economy right now. It's actually bad for our economy, if you think about it. Our economy stinks so bad that our Federal government's lending money out almost for no cost. And that tells you that it's not really a hot economy in any way, shape, or form. But the Fed's not going to raise interest rates, so we can count on that for a while because of no inflation. But even more importantly, like this is bad news for senior citizens. Many, many years ago, senior citizens could put their money in a CD or a bank and get 7 8% on their money, and they loved it. It was safe. It was reliable. It was short-term. Now you're lucky to get a CD that pays 5% or or it's, you got to put more risk. You can't get that safety of the of the CD, and our senior citizens are really getting killed by the low interest rates. And finally today, jobless claim data just came out from the feds. New claims for jobless benefits increased last week after three consecutive declines. They rose by 12,000 when most economists had expected they'd fall by about that much. And the number of ongoing unemployment claims also rose. So the initial claims rose to 472,000, and I can cheat for you. Any number over 400,000 is bad. Ultimately, we create jobs automatically in education and healthcare in the United States. It's always happened. We're always creating jobs, uh, ever so slowly, so to speak. But when you lose 472,000, you can't replace them fast enough. And continuing claims hit 4.5 million. And that number is pretty disheartening. And it indicates that businesses are pretty uneasy about the demand outlook, and they're just not hiring people. Cost of living in the United States was expected to decline a little bit. So the economic data that we got out today, I would say if I were to rate it, inflation, eh, pretty good news, you know, A minus. Uh, but again, remember, you want some inflation. Inflation sign of a, a growing economy. I know, it's weird, right? You're like, Rob, can't you just give me a straight answer? Do you like inflation or don't you? It's Goldilocksian. You want just the right amount. Not too much, not too little. And the initial claims, again, just, again, showing us that unemployment's a problem. And we're looking at 2012, maybe 2013, before employment gets back to single digits across the, uh, in California. 
that's a long time. And that again, that tells you that the housing recession, it's it's far from over. We're going to talk about housing a little later in the show. We're going to talk about housing a little later in the show. Don't worry about that. I'll tell you that my thoughts on where housing prices go, because a lot of people are asking about that. Yesterday, we saw something kind of wild come out of Europe. And this was an interesting conversation that I had last night. Who did I have this with? I don't remember. Interesting. I'm going I'm going senile. But the conversation boiled down. Oh, no, no. It was Pam Moore. It was Pam Moore from Crown 4 News. And uh, we had this argument that the United States, we hit a recession, right? We hit the Great Recession, right? A couple years ago, we were all talking about it. We've seen our friends laid off. 10% unemployment in the United States. Uh, oh, whoa, 13% unemployment in California. Real unemployment. People who want to work more hours but can is, is close to 20%. Um, the debate was, how did we fix it here? We printed money and we stimulated the economy. We basically printed $1 trillion, and President Obama put out a stimulus plan that was going to last about three years that basically gets him to his next reelection. So that's that's the basic idea there. So $1 trillion. We spend money, right? In Europe yesterday, they did something fascinating. Paris, France, the leaders in Paris, France, come out, and they say the new retirement age can be 62, not 60. you got to work till you're 62 to get your Social Security welfare benefits and your pensions. That's, uh, excuse me, <laughs> I'm 59 and a half. You're changing the rules now? Uh, that's fascinating. So instead of spending more money, France said, let's spend less money and make people work longer. Keep them in the, the workforce. Spain did something where they made it easier to fire union employees, whether they're public employee unions and or private company unions. Uh, again, spending less money. Spending less money. It's 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 fascinating to look at. It's really, really, really fascinating to look at, in my opinion, that Europe is is being fiscally conservative and and cutting and or delaying retirement, making people work longer till they get their 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 free lunch. Whereas in the United States, we're just like, ah, let's just print a trillion dollars. So who do you think what what country do you think is more sound? What country do you think it has is more responsible? In my opinion, I'll tell you the truth. I think it's Europe. I think they're doing things right. I think we're doing things wrong. Um, you know, I, I think Obama, someone, Whitman, someone's going to have to look at all the spending plans we have in California and all the spending plans we have in the United States and just start saying, you know, do we really need this plan anymore? You know, do we really need to research space? Do we really need to fund education? Do we really need to subsidize farmers? Do we really need to give third world aid? Someone in the world... In the United States, either on a state level or a federal level, we need to start looking at what we're spending and start cutting that kind of stuff. And, and yes, upping the retirement age. I'm calling for upping in the retirement age before you can retire and get Social Security benefits. I know it's uh, easy for me to say because I'm young and beautiful and working, uh, but we're going the wrong direction. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. You tell me what you want to talk about today. Anything financial, 800 345 5639. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. A little later in the show, I'm going to be talking with Suzanne McGee, talking about chasing Goldman Sachs. She's got a book out talking about uh, the financial world. So we'll, we'll hit that. Plus, coming up, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the ghosts. Ooh, the ghost of the dot-com era. Rob Black and your money, 9, 10 a.m. More stimulating talk. You're listening to Rob Black and your money on 9, 10 a.m. More stimulating talk. Eight hundred three four five five six three nine to get your calls in the air. It's eight hundred three four five five six 
1-800-529-9339 to get your calls on the air. There is another way to contact me if you're out of the Bay Area. For some reason, that 800 number is Bay Area exclusive. So you can call 415-322-9101. It's 415-322-9101 to call from out of the area. You can also drop me an email, rob at robblack.com. It's rob at robblack.com. Let's jump to a phone call. Looks like Vardaman in San Francisco. Hi. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, Well, I've got a question about two IRAs that my wife and I own. Okay. They're traditional IRAs, and we've had them for quite a long time. Each one is invested in uh, zero-coupon bonds. Okay. And I'm really thinking that interest rates will be going up in the next year, perhaps. Okay. And I'm wondering if this might be a good time, since the value of these is up quite a bit, to uh, sell them. If you believe interest rates are going up, yes, that's when you would want to sell them, for sure. Let's talk a little bit real quick. Let me get everyone up to speed on what a zero-coupon bond is, because it doesn't make a lot of sense to everyone. It's a discount bond. It's a bond bought at a price lower than its face value, with the face value repaid at the time of maturity. It does not make periodic interest payments or have so-called coupons, hence zero coupon. Thus, you get nothing for it, but you get a huge discount. Then when it t- comes time to redeem, that's when you get you know made whole with a little bit more, so to speak. Um, I will disagree with you a little bit, Vardaman. I don't see interest rates going up yet. Yeah, I was just anticipating it. That's all. Right. So in theory, what you would want to do is jump out of that and jump into maybe like some treasury inflation protected securities, inflation bonds, I bonds, if you really thought inflation was coming. But I don't see it yet. And I think the Federal Reserve, when it happens, Vardaman, it's going to happen pretty slowly. Uh They'll probably say something like on July 4th, they'll go, probably in December, we're going to raise interest rates. We're leaning in that direction. Right now, they're leaning towards not doing anything. So they're they're not saying the word inflation. So I would check back with me once a month, Farneman. Okay. And or listen to what the Federal Reserve is saying in their their annual their the monthly meetings. Yeah. Are they are they leaning towards inflation or are they not leaning towards raising interest rates? And right now they're not. So I don't think you're in any rush to do that. Eight hundred three four five five six three nine. He's in the right product for safety uh, because it's paying handsomely for him. Let's get a J in Windsor. J. How are you, Jay? I'm doing well. Hey, I was listening to the news a couple of weeks ago, and they were talking about how in the next couple of years that our debt would exceed the GDP of the country, and I just wanted to kind of understand that and what your thoughts were on that. Um, I would have to have that report in front of me to really comment on it because it's so far out of context. Uh, it is, but... What does it mean then? What does a debt to GDP ratio mean? And, and does that have an effect on the bond market if you were in securities, treasuries, whatever? Sure. Um, I'll, I'll give a shot at answering this to you. Um, first and foremost, GDP is you know our gross domestic product inside the United States. Um, it's a measure of, well, I guess every country can have a GDP, so it's not just ours, but it's a measure of overall economic output. It's ultimately the market value of all the final goods, all the final services within the borders of the country within a year. So it's positively correlated with a standard of living. You typically want to see an increase in GDP on a year-over-year basis. 
we're a fairly mature economy. We tend to uh, mature our, in good times, we're looking at maybe 2 to 4% GDP growth. Now, there's some countries like China where they're getting 10% GDP growth, and um, that's a little bit different. So as far, well, it's a little, that's a growth market, much more growth market than the United States. And 2 to 4% GDP growth, it works. Inflation subdued. Well, it's, it's, it's not subdued. Inflation's moderate. Uh, wages go up. Home prices go up. 2 to 4% GDP is pretty good. Uh, 2 to 4% GDP and 4 to 5% GDP will make dumb people look smart in the stock market. In the 1990s, due to all the dot-com money that was being thrown around, our GDP was bumping up to 5 6% uh, growth. And it, it made a lot of dumb people look pretty smart. As far as debt to GDP, the most commonly used ratio is, is government debt divided by gross domestic product. It reflects government's finances. Another common ratio is the total debt. Um, typically, you want to be able to have your debt to GDP somewhere in four to six percent. Um, you're, you want your you want to be able to service it. So it's kind of like a the best way to say it is you're going to have debt your whole life. Our country's going to have debt our whole life. Um, I would say the total debt probably with, with spending, I, last time I saw was about 45, 46% and it was jumping up to about 50, 55. Uh, but most European countries are already at 60, 65. So there's already a model J out there where other countries have more debt than we do as far as this portion of their GDP. I don't know. Uh, about the, the the commentary or the specific news piece that you were chewing on. Uh, I'm not all that stressed by our debt at this point in time, and I'll tell you why. The big jump that we've had recently is financed at 1%, 2%. So it's not like we have debt that's at 18 to 20%. You know, you have a credit card at 18%, and that kills you. Ours is incredibly low due to the low cost of money, due to the Federal Reserve, due to China buying our debt. Uh, we've We've floated treasury debt at very, very low rates. If we were at higher rates, I'd be freaked out of my mind. Um, but we're not there at this point in time. I do think, like I said earlier in the show, we should follow more of a European model of finance and cut spending and and, and push out retirement age and do the tough decisions, uh, whether it be for public pensions or Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, push it out, make people wait longer. Some of them will die and never get it. That's the mathematics that we would want on our side of the fence. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. One sector that's really taking it hard right now is the home builders. You heard yesterday that housing starts were down. Permits were down. The, the home tax credit has been used. The stimulus is gone. The subsidy is gone. And today you're seeing home builders just get clobbered. Um, for instance, there's a whole sector there's, you can buy the, if you believed in home builders right now, i.e. it's so bad, it's got to get better. You'd buy what's considered a, a home builders exchange traded fund, uh, called XHB, XHB, and that's an exchange traded fund. And the HB clearly stands for home builders. Sometimes these, uh, ticker symbols are pretty obvious. Some of the names inside it, Pulte Homes down 3%, DR Horton down 3%, Ryland Group down 2.5%, Beezer Homes, uh, Lennar, Havnanian, Toll Brothers, Meritage, MDC Holdings, home improvement companies like Home Depot and Lowe's, they're down today. So the whole housing sector is getting shellacked today. Uh, again, just some economic data comes out, and it shows weaker than expected. 
housing stimulus credits on the the, the, the down low, and uh, the whole sector ultimately gets hit. To get your calls in the air, it's 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. We could talk about anything that you want to talk about. We could talk World Cup. We could talk investing. We could talk finances. We could talk about the dot-com bubble. A couple companies in the dot-com bubble, uh, some of the poster children, they're still around. And some of them are starting to look pretty attractive as investments again. Like, do you remember the E-Trade, the the commercials that used to run, how you can make money out the wazoo, how you could be a, D, a day trader? That's, that stock used to get on fire and, and make people lots of money. AOL, today they said they're they're selling their Bebo um, social media uh, site. They paid an arm and a leg for it, and they're selling it for almost nothing. So they're going to get this huge tax gain, uh, huge tax credit, so to speak. And it, it suddenly makes their shares look better because they're selling a dead asset and getting a taxable uh, gain out of it. So Yahoo, some of these old tech companies, they're still sticking around. And I want to highlight them later in the show and, and go over some of them, like Sienna. CNO was once a fiber optic company, and I remember doing this show on CNET. You know, it was called Stock Talk, and people would call in and so they'd say, What do you think about this company? What do you think about that company? And CNO was interesting because they basically made networking equipment with fiber optics. And I don't know. Do you remember in our, our lifetime, fiber optics was a huge technology? ATT used to do commercials about, you know, we are the only all fiber optic network. You can hear a pin drop. And then show a needle drop and you can hear it through the phone. It's like, oh, so cool. But fiber optics was a, a great white night for the data. It was a great white night for the internet. When the internet was rolling out and speeds were incredibly slow, 16, you know, uh, 2,400 baud modems, you know, we went from really slow internet to we started get, coming out with technologies like Sienna. Sienna was a fiber optic company that they would take the the light and they would bend it into different colors. So they could get more color through that glass or that fiber optic network. Uh, They're adding on multiplexers, which would get more data through. And uh, later in the show, I do want to talk about some of these dot-com companies that suddenly they were left for dead. And now they're back. To get your calls in the air, it's 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. Coming up, I'm going to talk with Suzanne McGee author of Chasing Goldman Sachs. A little later in the show, got Kim Commando talking what's happening in E3 with the, the new video game technologies. 9, 10 a.m., more stimulating talk. This is Rob Black and your money on 9, 10 a.m., more stimulating talk. And now, Rob Black. Joining me now, Suzanne McGee, author of Chasing Goldman Sachs. How the Masters of the Universe Melted Wall Street Down, and why they'll take us to the brink again. This is a question on a lot of people's minds. Was the financial system saved, and will it happen again? Here to help answer this and promote her book, Suzanne McGee. How are you, Suzanne? I'm well, Rob. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Um, do a show here on financials and investing. I tell people to put their money in their 401k every two weeks. Do it simple, and you'll you'll live the American dream. People got kind of spooked recently in the, the financial credit crisis, Suzanne. Well, a lot of confidence was lost, and not surprisingly, uh, Wall Street, which uh, uh, kind of operates the, what I call in the book the money grid, was revealed to be considerably more greedy than most of us had imagined it was. Uh, and we all became very, very aware that it really isn't a level playing field out there. 
Now, you refer to it as money grid, and uh, to flesh it out for people, that's like an electricity grid, according to like you. Like a utility. It's like a wa- any any kind of system that connects producers and consumers of a good and service. So just as when you, you flick your light switch when you come home in the evening, you expect the power to come on, and when you turn on the tap, you expect clean water. When we use the, the money grid which connects the people with capital and those that need it. We expect it to function smoothly and efficiently, not uh, teeter and nearly collapse. Now, in the 1990s, Wall Street really started to, I I guess, overinflate, Suzanne, according to me. Um, Too many hedge funds, too many mutual funds, too many people (laughs) leaving college and and starting up their own businesses. Is, Is that part of what clogged the money grid? It's a big part of it, yes, Rob. But I, I, in my book, I really trace this back further still. I go all the way back to the 1970s, which is when fixed commissions were outlawed, and that sent uh, the investment banks scrambling to, to, to find all kinds of creative new products that could replace that stream of income. And it was also the time frame in which uh, investment banks started to go public to replace the partnership structure with a shareholder ownership. And those shareholders, in turn, started demanding higher and higher rates of return, as one former Goldman Sachs partner said to me recently, uh, we really did a deal with the devil there because uh, those those outside shareholders were, uh, you know, putting a lot of pressure on Wall Street CEOs to disregard the risk and emphasize the return. It's a system that we need, and it's a system that created some obscene wealth, Suzanne, that it benefited a lot of us in a lot of ways, but then when it crashed, it, it feels like... Ooh, is it going to is it going to repeat itself again? Is this just waiting to happen? That is the danger, and I think this this is one of the big unanswered questions, and it's a question I think many people are afraid to tackle: is should Wall Street just be that profitable? Is it appropriate for uh, a set of institutions that are running a utility to earn such gargantuan profits? And maybe it's time to step back and say, hey, you know, for for a bank, maybe if you're uh, systemically important, if your collapse is going to take the entire financial system down with it and force all of us to keep our savings in our mattresses again, then maybe you shouldn't be trying to earn 20% uh, earnings gains every year. It's interesting that you say that because I'm going to take the other side of the argument here, Suzanne, and I live in California, and California, mm-hmm. California needs money. We need it for our roads. We need it for our schools. And who gets it for us is Wall Street. It's 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 lifeblood for us, so to speak. So I want them to stay in business. Absolutely. And, and I, I know they, they're incredibly important to our lifestyle. And a lot of people, like you said, the electrical grid is a great analysis or analogy for it. But I'm a capitalist in, in my heart. And I want to lend money to California. So I'm glad someone is. <laughs> But uh, you have to balance long-term greed and short-term greed. We don't want to ban greed entirely. A non-greedy banker is an oxymoron and someone that's completely useless in our society. But we need to balance long-term greed with short-term greed. If all that a Wall Street institution or an individual on a trading desk is interested in is maximizing their own bonus, that's not helpful to you, me, the state of California, or the country, or any businesses here. If what they're doing is pausing and saying, hmm, what is this deal? Is it good? Is it a good deal in its own right? Is it helpful to my firm? Is it helpful to the institution? Is it helpful to my client? Is it helpful to investors? Then great. And by the way, if that deal is a success, I don't care how much money he makes off it.
I'm speaking with Suzanne McGee, author of Chasing Goldman Sachs, How the Masters of the Universe Melted Wall Street Down. Fantastic title. Um, Suzanne, sometimes we want to regulate, you know, deregulate in the 90s, regulate now. I, I think sometimes the cure could be worse than the disease, though. Like today. I, I agree with you. And, and I think uh, being out in the Bay Area, you've seen that firsthand in, in the wake of Sarbanes-Oxley, which... Uh, has uh, dealt a blow to the IPO market and to startup companies that might want to go public. Um, and this is indeed what everyone is worried about, is that regulation and could be and probably will be far heavier than perhaps it should be. But there's, in the short term, I think there's very little way to escape that. I think in the long term, it will smooth itself out. At least that's my hope. And there's the unintended consequences. Like, for instance, today I see that banks are saying, Bank of America says, you know, no more free checking. If the government's exactly. going to get on our business and tell us what we can and can't do, then we're going to start charging for everything we can charge for. And that, that's bad and, for the consumer. And that does hurt the consumer, but the consumer has perhaps benefited from free checking for a long time. And maybe the absence of fees on checking pushed um, Bank of America and other institutions into taking risks in other parts of its business that they couldn't or shouldn't have been doing in order to meet the needs of their shareholders. So what you lose in one part of the business has to be made up in another part. And and that is the dilemma that uh, everyone's going to be wrestling with. Suzanne, what would you do if you were in charge, or what would some of the changes be? Because you wrote a book. I mean, you certainly have an opinion. It's a terrifying prospect to be in charge of an entire financial system. Um, I... There's no one set of recipes. What I would like to see in place within every investment bank, every financial institution, is some mechanism that forces people to really think about the risk as well as the reward. I don't think that's there as much as it should be. Certainly people who were voicing concerns about the risks in 2006-2007 before uh, the worst blow-up occurred were were shut down. In some cases, they were forced out of the companies they worked for. Um, uh, one one banker I talked to, when when his boss told him, uh, "I want you to find a way to sell an eighty five billion eighty five billion worth of junk bonds for a leveraged buyout, you know, roughly three times the size of, of any that had been done so far," he said, "Should we be doing this?" And his boss looked at him as if he was crazy, and said, "If we don't, our biggest competitor will. What are you talking about? Just go and do it. And of course, he never raised um, a concern or a question again. Um, And there needs to be that kind of mechanism. And how you get there, I think, is a matter of trial and error. And it's it's going to be different for every institution out there. Thanks for joining me, Suzanne. Thanks, Rob. Suzanne McGee, author of Chasing Goldman Sachs, How the Masters of the Universe Melted Wall Street Down and Why They'll Take Us to the Brink Again. She does a really nice deconstruction of Wall Street and shows you, again, in good, easy terms, like now that you think of it as a power grid and you had too many mutual funds and too many hedge funds, you knew that they were operating inside that grid, that there was just too much, too many people chasing too many dollars, that it was going to end bad. And it did end bad. Um, And again, she thinks it might happen again. To get your calls in the air, it's 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. You're listening to Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Call the show 800-345-5639. Email the show, rob at robblack.com. Coming up around the corner, we're going to be talking about E3 with Kim Commando. You're listening to Rob Black and your money on 910 AM. More stimulating talk.
Davis. You know she's right around the corner. It's Kim Commando from the Kim Commando Show. Heard here Sundays from 1 to 3 on 910 AM. Kim, digital goddess, digital lifestyle queen. How are you today? I'm excellent. How are you, Rob? I'm okay. It's uh, kind of a fun time for we tech nerds and tech enthusiasts and digital people because of E3s going on and lots of uh, video game news coming out. Yeah, E3 is the big computer video gaming um, expo in Los Angeles. And here's the deal is that um, I've been talking about this Project NATO for some time, but now Microsoft has renamed it. It's called Connect. And Connect is an add-on for your existing Xbox. Or when you buy a new Xbox, it'll be bundled in with it, I'm sure. But with Connect, there are no more controllers. And so when you're playing a video game, as you move your arm, the arms move of the character on the screen. And if you're driving, you pretend to hold the steering wheel. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. And, and so um, it's, it's really a game-changing technology because no longer do you have to have any controllers or stand on any mats because now everything is done with your arms, your legs, your face. Also, there's, uh, we'll recognize you when you walk up to it, so we'll know exactly uh, who wants to play the game and maybe where you left off. You can tell the gaming system to pause instead of actually having to reach for the remote. Um, but it's, what I think this is going to move towards, though, is really gesture technology. So maybe someday we won't have a keyboard or mouse. But it's at the gaming systems right now. And then also Nintendo showed their new uh, 3D uh, DS. That's their little handheld right. gadget. And um, it's three-and-a-half-inch stereoscopic screen. And so what that does is it produces this 3D images. So as you're playing on the games, you don't need to wear those funky 3D glasses, by the way. But the characters kind of jump out at you. I, I saw it. It's not quite as good as Avatar, mm-hmm. but it looks almost like a 3D image, if that makes sense. Okay, so Nintendo, it seems like Microsoft's playing catch-up with Nintendo. A couple of years ago, Nintendo comes out with a Wii, yes. motion sensor joysticks, kind of Good for you and me. It's not using the 14-button Xbox joystick, which is intimidating to the elderly, as I like to refer to us. Um, <laughs> I mean that with love and respect, of course. But it seems like Microsoft, are, are they behind the curve on this? Actually, no, I think they're ahead of the curve. Okay. This is one particular area where they might be ahead. I mean, let's face it, with the cell phones, a little behind, okay? Microsoft Office coming to the web. Okay, Google was there a couple of years ago. But with this Connect... This is going to be a gaming system with no controllers, and that's assuming that it works. It's going to be a home run, and if they have the right games to play with it. But from the demos that I've seen, it looks pretty hot. Um, this Nintendo 3D DS, it's actually it's okay because um, it's also a, a, a 3D. You can also watch 3D movies on it. Now they haven't announced it yet, but I'm sure it'll be out by the holiday season. And then Sony's also in there with their PlayStation 3. They announced something called the Move, and the Move is this glowing ball, which is tracked by a camera on top of your television. And the Move allows precise movements of video game action, and so it's it's kind of almost like the Nintendo Wii. So what we have are this is this push for gaming that doesn't require, like you said, that 80-button remote that, you know, you're, you're right. After you said I'm like, you know, I'm totally with you on that because it's the Xbox remote just has, like, too many darn buttons. I'm like, what am I supposed to do here? There's buttons on the front, the back, the underneath, you know, yeah. <laughs> left and right. And, and then these things that go, that you move around in a circle. I'm like, you know, just tell me what I'm supposed to push, okay? Now, you're helping me on this one. The Connect. let's go back to Microsoft and the yes. Xbox. It's a, it's a peripheral how does yes. it actually work? You say you move your, like, there'll be a boxing game. You can actually punch into the air and hit somebody on the screen. Yes. 
But how? Right. Where do the wires come in, or how's the technology translating my movements into the game? There's a, a box, a slimline box that okay. go, will go near your flat screen television. Okay. It doesn't have to. It has to be connected to the Xbox, but it doesn't have to be on top of the Xbox. It has to be in front of in front of you, so where you see the box and you see the screen. And so what it does is it has a camera built in um, with the with the technology that will, as you move, the camera will detect your movement and then translate those movements onto the screen as the character does it. And so if you are shifting your car, you actually will have to put your hand on what would be like a virtual shifter and move your hand to like first, second, third, fourth. And accordingly, if you're going to be turning the wheels in the car, that you need to actually pretend that you have your hands on a wheel at 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock or 9 o'clock or 3 o'clock, wherever you want to put them, and then actually kind of move that wheel around. Um, it goes on sale on November 4th, and then you can pre-order them now for 150 bucks. What's interesting about this is um, it, it's clearly taken us to the next level, but it's also extending the life of the Xbox. Um, it's already been out for five years, and typically that's when you about retire these guys, so to speak. Yeah, and you know what? And, and it looked a little old in the tooth when the Wii came out, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, it even the even how big it was and how bulky, and it was black and it was yucky, and you know, it's like. And then the Rings of Death. Well, they actually have a streamlined version too that they're releasing that isn't as as big and bulky. So when you put it in uh, an equipment rack, like I'm just thinking, like in my home theater, I've got an equipment rack that it really looks out of place compared to every the blue. Ray players and and the DVRs and everything else that you have in it, um, but this is going to give Microsoft a little you know no pun intended shot in the arm as far as the gaming industry. Again, that's assuming that everything works what the way that they're showing us that it does work. Right now, in your opinion, let's talk about the Xbox and the, the PlayStation. Which of these boxes have the best apps? Which ones like I know they both have Netflix, and now we've heard Microsoft has signed a deal with ESPN, so you can watch. Uh, ESPN shows on your Xbox or through your Xbox. And that's what it's really all about, the digital you know, living room, so to speak, um, tied towards your TV. Goldmine opportunity. And can well, we well absolutely, because if you already have a gaming system and it's already tied into the Internet, why shouldn't you be able to download and watch whatever you want to watch? And you know, everybody's fighting now for the living room is that when I say everybody, we've got Boxy, we've got Apple TV, we've got Roku, we've got all these other gadgets that everything's trying to tie it all together. But if you already have a gaming unit in there, it makes perfect sense to have those programs, have those shows, have the video on demand that you want. The PlayStation 3 has always had a little bit of an edge because it's not just a gaming system and it's not only tied to the Internet and it not only gets its updates over the air through the Internet, which is fabulous, um, is that it's also a Blu-ray player. So if you were if you're looking for a gaming system, uh, along with a Blu-ray player, the PlayStation Three makes total sense. And that is assuming that the games that you want are also on it. You know, the, the games are always the most important. With the Xbox, they kind of always seem to gear towards the uh, the Halos and the War, War of Warcrafts and those type of combat type of games. But the PlayStation Three, it, it never really seemed to take off in that direction. Um, but, again, you have to look at the games and see which ones that you really want to play. Okay. Anything else that we need to know coming out of E3, Kim? Well, I know there's probably a game that you're pretty excited about. Oh, hold on. Let me think. Um, you're gonna, you're no, gonna be, it's... You're going to be mean no, to me. You're going to be mean to me and say something like no, Playboy's coming out. Is that I, I've always envisioned you, like, on the breaks doing the moonwalk. <laughs> um, and Ubisoft, they've announced a new game. It hasn't been titled yet, but it's going to use motion sensors on the Nintendo Wii, the DS, and the PlayStation um, so that you can moonwalk yourself into oblivion. 
And um, so the king of pop will actually live. I don't think they're going to include the gloves, so you'll have to have that yourself. Yeah, I'm not really much of a dancer. So. No? No. The games that I like are the the uh, like the battlefields. You know. Oh, and, do you really? Yeah, and again, I just like them for you know ten fifteen minutes, and then then I'm done. So then that's it. Yeah, but I'm, I am looking at the new Xbox. Just again, it's wireless now, and it's. You know, it's the online apps, and you got to be cool. And I am finally <laughs> five years after its debut. I am starting to think maybe, maybe getting the Xbox 360. <laughs> Rob Hip Black, here he is. I. It's so funny because um, I did a show here in, in the Bay Area called Stock Talk, and it was CNET Radio, and it was pretty popular. And uh, you know, I, I love technology, and I, I. But as I'm getting older, Kim, I'm, I want less and less technology. So well, it doesn't make much sense. Well, I'll tell you what's interesting is when you start looking at different technologies, like, for example, if you're going to be traveling and you don't want to carry a laptop, what the heck do you do with all your digital photos, right? Do you leave them on the card? Do you, how do you offload them? And this is a question that I, I've been answering for myself and, my, and actually my mother as she's going to Israel this week, um, is that, you know, this Apple has the iPad and they've got this camera connection kit. I don't know if you've ever tried to buy one of these things, but you can't buy them. They are in no Apple stores. Uh, people are selling them on eBay and on Amazon.com for like 150 bucks. When if you could buy it at the Apple Store, it's a $30 gadget. So it's like, okay, I should have. Why didn't I think of this idea? So somebody needs to come up with an Apple Connection camera kit that 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 really works. So and is not on short supply. I hear you. So thanks for joining me, Kim. Talk to you later. Thanks, Kim Rob. Commando. You can hear her Sundays one to three. You know, let's face it, staying on top of technology is almost a full-time job, and she does it for a living. So I like to use some of her opinions to help me form some of my opinions. Uh, I'm, I'm really interested on this Microsoft Connect thing. It's, it's, I don't know. I can tell you from the analyst inside of me that, you know, we've already started to build models that show that it can add another $400,000 of revenue towards Microsoft's top-line revenue. And, uh, again, it's going to extend the, the life frame of the console and video game consoles real quick lesson what they're kind of about is the first couple of users the first generation of people who buy them uh, microsoft loses a lot of money on those the technology is super expensive to develop and then it's called a lost leader but if you're able to milk that console you start making more and more money because the technology becomes cheaper it becomes easier to integrate it becomes more acceptable more of a dominant platform and that technology uh, in years two, three, four, five is when Microsoft starts making the money. Sony recently said that they've started making money on the $299 PlayStation 3 just recently. It took five years to pull it off. But where they make their money is licensing the technology to software companies to develop it. So every software title that's sold, you know, Sony and Microsoft gets a piece of that action. And uh, so you have a loss leader. Not all businesses have to make money. But if Microsoft doesn't sell three to five software titles with the hardware... They ultimately lose money. But now, later in life, that technology, it's old. They've been making it for many, many years, and it's a little bit easier to pull off. And the, the, the technology shrink size is there. And uh, the, the volume, volume, volume has been done, and the mistakes have been made. The technology is kind of dated, and, and when it comes dated, it becomes cheaper. So Microsoft, pretty smart move to try to extend the life of the Xbox 360. If you get your calls in the air, it's 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. You're listening to... Rob Black and your money coming up right around the corner is headline news. 
Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.